This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today we have two guests. We have John D. and Stephanie Shriver of PlaceWise. John is the president of PlaceWise, and Stephanie is the SVP of Global Marketing. Excited to have them here and get their take. Welcome to the show, John and Stephanie. Thank you for having us, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Nice to be here. Awesome. So, so John and Stephanie, why don't you each, John, why don't you go first and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and what PlaceWise is? Sure. Happy to. I'll start with PlaceWise. PlaceWise uh, provides digital services to shopping centers around the world. So we started off uh, almost 20 years ago in the States as uh, providing, just saying, hey, you're a shopping center, you should have a website. You get on the web and that evolved into building email programs. Back then there were no email programs. There was nobody signing up for programs. Nobody marketed that way. Um, uh, That evolved, then evolved into digital content and social and mobile and effectively now the full stack of digital technology my background prior to coming into the shopping center business uh, with that was i was at a company called mci communications a million years ago for those who've been around when people actually cared about the cost of making a phone call which is kind of crazy now (laughs) that you think about it the the six and a half billion dollar marketing budget for consumer phone calls uh, that we had oh on a, goodness. yeah, on, on a $6 billion business line, <laughs> so, so <laughs> how good the business was. but, uh, yeah, that was, I, so I came out of that technology and MCI was really key because we had a guy named Vince Cerf who now was at Google, but he was one of the original developers at DARPA that didn't in, in, develop the internet protocol. So I was on his team at MCI when we were starting our internet service and that just expanded. And here I am somehow in the shopping center industry uh, 20 years later. So. Wow. Stephanie, who is Stephanie Shriver? What do you, what do you do? I'm an original mall rat from back in the day. And um, Tyson's Corner Center was my stomping ground before it was as glamorous as it is today. And um, I've spent most of my adult career in the shopping center industry in many different roles from uh, marketing director to VP of digital strategy was the first one in the industry. And then um, I moved out of the shopping center industry into technology with uh, mobile location analytics when it was first introduced in this country. Um, so, and then I've been with PlaceWise as a customer and uh, a collaborator for probably 20 of those years. So, very, uh, very closely tied to place-wise, even when I was working for developers. We awesome. stalked her down at an ICSC event in San Diego, I remember. <laughs> we, we said, that's it, Stephanie from Forest City. <laughs> and we, we acted like we were buying beers next to him, literally. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, so today, um, you know, what is place-wise focused on right now? Uh, let me take that stuff. We, we digital transformation is this huge thing that's going on literally every industry. You know, marketing, marketing when it has gone through it, you hear all these references, Martech, FinTech, 
retail tech is huge. And it, and it is really <clears throat> this entire supply chain that literally goes from factory in Asia or wherever the factory is, to shipping, to the logistics track of it, into the supply chain, into the store, into the store, into store marketing. And uh, at the end of that is a distribution point, is a retailer. And um, that the digital transformation that everyone is going through is very thorough. It's top to bottom. And it's taken a long time. It was easy to jump in and do email marketing in 2005. Not a problem. Very doable. And it's, and it's evolved and it's emerged and it's matured. But today, we're, with COVID, we're seeing this accelerate even more. And things that we would prognosticate about being out in five or 10 years, like real-time inventory, right? This is all of a sudden a big deal. And you, and you can see that as we went through COVID, who was ready for digital transformation and, and for the changes that COVID brought and who wasn't. And I use my example I've used elsewhere, but I, it, it's real and it's personal. And uh, you saw somebody like a retailer, like a Best Buy. They turned up curbside, it seemed overnight, right? They just took in-store boppus, buy online, pick up in-store, and they put it out to the curb. And you drove up and, and we were all there because they were out of inventory. Or my local Best Buy didn't have anything that I needed. Didn't have monitors, didn't have webcams, didn't have microphones. All that sold out in the first couple of weeks. Um, and the reason was <laughs> you could go online, you drive up, you text them, you say, I'm in stall number four. And the guy brings it out, literally dropped it in your trunk and you drove away, right? And it was super simple. Same thing did not happen at a retailer um a big home goods one i mentioned names here if i'm uh picking on them i mean uh all right I mean, bed bath and beyond right we broke a coffee pot like second week into covid lockdown right so we needed we i wanted it i want coffee the next day so i want to go get one i know they have them in stock at my local store they're completely shut down right unable to do that and i know that as a company they have flipped and put a lot more focus on digital transformation and uh, so that this is like a personal story that I, we're seeing. So how is that impacting how we're working today? Shopping centers and retailers are talking about e-commerce that's being delivered from the local store, from the local mall, not just curbside, but delivery and in-store pickup, the whole range of things, whatever consumers want. So we're working a lot on that, not just getting up a website or sending out some emails to promote a new store. We kind of so outside of... Sorry, Chris, I was just going to say, we sort of live in that gap between physical and digital retail. And, and, and that gap, obviously, is getting closer and closer. But that's sort of our, our happy place. That's where we live. And that's um, where we believe that we bring the most value. Um, I, I so to who, though, the retailer or to developers? I would say both, wouldn't you, John? We, we, we work with both, but our primary customer is the developer. So our customers okay. include all the big mall REITs and a lot of the guys because it's moved down. What well, the other trend we're seeing is pushing, yes, a big regional shopping center has had for a long time a very strong digital web presence and in email marketing and all those things. That's coming down to your local strips and how you can be available, how you can be available for search, making sure that your retailers are found in local. So that's and without saying that it's everything digital, but like what, it, what are they hiring you to do? Well, I think in the past, as John said, it was mostly uh, focused on marketing and web presence 
I think now we are in a space where we are working with landlords on getting to know who their customers are, because now we can measure things and we can know things that we were never able to do before. And we can do it relatively inexpensively considering um, what that sort of endeavor would have taken a long time ago. Um, so I think that's one of the areas. I think when I talked about us living in that, that gap between physical and digital retail being our happy place, um, I feel like that's where we are now developing product to help shopping centers and malls evolve into what they look like in the future and what role they serve. And when I said, I think we help both retailers and landlords, um, we believe, and I don't want to, uh, I don't want to steal your thunder, John, but we believe that there's a really great opportunity for shopping centers in general, not just malls and big shopping centers, but shopping centers in general to become more active players in that e-commerce and e-commerce fulfillment um, piece of it. So we do that. And then we're also working with landlords now on trying to streamline communication and support for retail tenants. And that's, again, in a neighborhood center, community center, big box, regional. And um, there are lots of reasons why that's important. In some of those cases, it's because there aren't any mall management staff or shopping center staff on, um, on property. And we want to make sure that we're communicating with um, our tenants and making sure they feel heard and taking care of operational issues as they happen. And then in malls, you know, people are bringing in more local, cool, fun retailers, but those smaller retailers need a lot of support. They don't have the marketing structure or dollars or budgets or people um, necessary to get the sort of support and awareness in their market. So in bigger shopping centers, we streamline content um, being provided by tenants to those landlords um, channels of communication to make sure they have the customers that they need. So um, we're very busy, Chris, very, very busy. Let me, let me break that down to products though. So for a shopping center, we could put you on the web. There's a website. You can sign up for an email program on there. You can sign up for a text messaging program. All the content that you could find on that website would be available over Wi-Fi. On the back end, we would gather all of that information and we would um, aggregate that and create data sets. So you've got all your digital touch points because a shopper could get up, could see an ad for the shopping center. They could click on that ad. They can look at things. All of that information can be aggregated together and then used to deliver a better service. Makes sense. Um, you, you mentioned location analytics. Are you guys doing like geofencing, like Placer AI does and things like that? Absolutely. We do some similar things to that. Um, where we doing, we're doing that, you know, sort of trade area analyses around location. Our focus here to four has really more been around what do you deliver to the consumer when they ask for that help? Because we believe that one of the things that, that landlords need to do is establish a relationship with the consumer. In the past, it was all between the brands and the consumer, and it still largely is. However, as leases change, you know, from one day to one month to one week to one year leases, pop-ups as tenants go and come and go, uh, it's important for the landlord to have a relationship 
with the consumers in his area and use that relationship to better the, the relationship he has with his tenant. Drive more of those people into the tenant. Got it. Okay. Uh, very cool. So you guys are seeing a lot what's happening. You guys are global. You're seeing a lot what's going on all over. Uh, and today we're going to talk about uh, the top five you know, retail trends as you see it in 2021. Um, so why don't you take us away and start us off, John? What's number five here? Well, I was, I'd start, I said it before, I'm going to start. <laughs> Digital transformation is the big one, right? So I'll go in that order, right? That That's a big one. You want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Tell me. So when you say digital transformation, you know, give me the the if you're going to give me the punchline of what digital transformation means to you. It's baking in and folding in the, the digital, the capabilities of digital, whether that be marketing communications, whether that be tenant communications. I mean, literally, if you've been inside a regional shopping center, the security guard walks around and gets people to sign off on stuff, right? During the day, I need to see the manager. All these manual processes are becoming digital and people expect that. So you're building apps and we're building apps to allow people, the, the management to communicate directly with store management, to communicate with second key people say, Hey, your store's not open. Uh, you should, you should get down here. These are kind of things that are real world that happen. Uh, so it's that process of digitizing sort of the shopping center business. The retailers are going to are already digitizing, right? They know it. They can see the writing on the wall. They've done it. The landlord needs to jump on board with that. Cannot be separate. Steph, would you add more to that? No, I think you did a brilliant job. <laughs> okay. Do I get the second one? Yeah, do the second one. Go, uh, we're number four. We're going up to the most. All right, we'll go up, right? right? Like the All countdown, right. Chris. All right. They All got right. it. All right. Sorry. So number four for me is um, consumer expectation of a shopping experience being one holistic experience. I think we were experiencing that before, but COVID was the gasoline on the fire. And we have to play catch up ball in physical retail. Consumers want to be able to be like John. They want to be able to pick it up curbside if they want to. And we saw that it's not just going to be a nice, a nice thing to have, but it's a necessity in certain, certain times. So I would say consumer expectation um, accelerating. They want it. it when they want it, where they want it, how they want it. You know, just the customer is king and, and they're more in control. They've never been more in control. So they, if you don't want to give it to them, no problem. I'll get it down the road. Number three, John. Ah, so I think it's those, those means of fulfillment and delivery, right? So this curbside thing is not going away. We've found that to be incredibly convenient, whether COVID goes away or we all live with it tranquilly and it's not a problem anymore. That function will still stay there. And that, that is sort of maybe a branch of consumer expectations, but I don't think that's going away. And for, for, for restaurants and people in that business, always been, the pickups never been a problem, always done it. So it was an easy transition for them. It's the digitization of that. So customer is arriving now, the opposite of delivery. When you order a delivery, you know, it shows the car coming to your house, right. On the, on the little delivery app. Uh, the opposite side of that is 
hey, Chris Ress is arriving and he's going to be here in three minutes. Get out there and be waiting at the curb when he shows up. That's the kind of customer that, that, that you are. And so uh, we're seeing, I see that as a trend right now. Awesome. Uh, and delivery as well. And, you know, local delivery from the local store. Same day. Got it. Yeah, that uh, clearly um, being able to communicate with your customers and have them shop both physically and digitally is paramount. So I, uh, I certainly, uh, I certainly understand. And I think that is uh, a trend that's only going to accelerate and amplify in 2021. Yeah. The shopper doesn't separate it. He's buying from the gap, right? He doesn't care if it's on the web, he's going to return it to the store. He's going to exchange it at the store. He wants it brought outside. He wants it mailed to his house. And, and, and that, that good brands are, are very aware of that. Got it. Um, what's number two? I'm ready, Chris. I'm ready for you. Go for it. Well, I think that's a big one, really. Um, landlords realizing retail tenants as a constituency, right? So we've always been really good at making sure that we're taking care of customers, or I think Malls do a really pretty good job of that and shopping centers in general. But we sort of sign the lease and then we kind of say, okay, we're good for five years and we may see them at recon or whatever our, our retailers. But I feel like during COVID, it really highlighted sort of this gap again between um, landlords and tenants, retail tenants working together um, and, and making that easy. We saw lots of negotiations going on. Uh, they were must, right? It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily something that we, any of us wanted to do, but we saw a lot of that happening. And just being really more in, as a partnership between landlords and, um, and retail tenants, I see a lot more possibility for more value add there. Once we get over the basics, like being able to make sure somebody read something or RSVP for a meeting or got whatever notification they needed. Once we get sort of those housekeeping issues, the low hanging fruit taken care of, which I think we have really good, um, as Don was talking about, um, tools like mobile applications that can make it super easy for everyone. I feel like there's also then data sharing that can happen, but we need to get the basics right first. So to me, that would be another trend, that whole partnership thing between landlord and retailer. The, and, and how are you seeing that going right now? I see. I mean, I come, these are my people. Um, this is where I come from. And so there always was, and you may not be be free to say this, um, but I think everybody knows there's always been sort of an us and them kind of um, camps in in retail uh, leasing and, and landlords and retailers and from both sides and a, a little bit of maybe healthy distrust of certain things. Um, but I'm seeing that, like I said, we had to come together when there were bankruptcies and closures. We had to work together to make sure that there was consumer confidence around hygiene opening and then closing and then opening again. So um, that's how I'm seeing what happened. And what I'm seeing as sort of the utopia, in my opinion, is that we have everything to gain by selling more stuff, right? 
if the if the retailer is successful and they and their sales are healthy, the landlord is successful and their their earnings are healthy. And we just are, I feel like we're on a progression and we got to get to that place where we really truly embrace each other as financial partners rather than sort of partners. Does that answer your question? Sure. And so um challenging you a little bit here, there's a and I don't disagree with anything you said. I think it's uber important. One thing we we never hear about, and I'm curious on your take, and I'm not sure there should be, but you know, we're you know, we're talking a lot about what the landlords need to do in order to help facilitate retail sales at their property and help actually the retailers. You mentioned earlier, like you know, in today's day and age, landlords have to really put a lot more into helping the retailer. Does the retailer have to do anything to help the landlord be successful other than stack it high and let it fly? Yeah, but I, I, no, that's very, um, I, I think that's a really great question. I think that we, we determine what retailers, I, I'm, I'm talking like I'm a shopping center person because that's in my heart. I still am. But, um, during the whole lease up, right? The merchandising of a shopping center, we determine what's right for our market. I do believe that there, if we get to that utopia that I'm talking about, that real partnership, then there is, a, I think there should be a requirement um, of transparency around trade area sales, around category sales. Um, retailers know a lot, but they don't know everything about how they're performing in a shopping center in a in a category, for instance. So, um, yeah, there is a there is a responsibility. They need to run a great operation. They need to be right for the market. And um, when they aren't, and there are issues, when there's transparency around those issues, and they can be diagnosed, whether it's a four four walls sort of in the four walls of the store problem or whether it's a project problem, maybe there's an active egress issue, or there's some new competitor that's opening up down, down the street. Um, yeah, there, there is a responsibility of the tenant, I believe, to be open if they want to be successful. And I mean, open meaning transparent, not just opening their doors, but being, to me, those are table stakes. Great operator, clean, they know their market, they have the merchandise that needs to be there. Um, but to me, it's really around that transparency ultimately. But on let, me, let me add to that is that I think they, they, they have to have the right stuff. They have to have the thing that the consumer wants. So that's that that's part of the old school. But is there is this huge the guardedness around data sharing between the retailers and the landlord. And I, I know it has to do because it implies, you know, capability to pay rent. Um and what you should charge them. And everyone's sort of got a different thing and retailers could legitimately say, you know, I want to see what everyone else's rent is. Um, The landlord doesn't want to share that, but like we, we go out and we buy data that shows online sales and in-store sales at the retailer level, at the, at the County level by retailer, right? You should be able to get that information from the retailer. And you should be able to have some trust in your partner, who is the shopping center, to use it beneficially to drive people like that. So I'm going to go promote this center as a shopping center operator. I need to know who I'm promoting to 
and what those or what the splits are. Do I have a lot of people here? And it helps me determine uh, as a landlord, if you're a landlord, uh, who to bring in next, what the, what the market demand for the next retailer is in this area. So that information should flow more easily. It does not, though. And we see that. Yeah, I, I don't think that's. That's it, you know. I, I don't think that's unique to our industry. We, we like to think it is right. I mean, I'll give you your industry. Do you do you share the prices of each customer with all your customers? Absolutely not. No, <laughs> exactly. Right. So I, I think I, I don't disagree. Transparency, I think, will help everybody. And uh, I'm interested to see how we get there as an industry. And so. Uh, Thank you for that. Uh, thank you for uh, taking my challenge on that. Uh, Love that. All right. What's the top trend coming in 2021? Um, I'm sort of torn between two pieces of it. They're kind of similar, but we're really seeing a lot of interest in e-commerce from regional shopping. Right. And whether they're playing with it and dipping their foot in the water or whether they're watching it, they're all sort of on it and we're seeing this around the world we're working on a beep project in singapore um in europe and in the u.s too where look it's a long road to go before we get there but everything available at my property is also available online for local delivery for pickup and in store and so um that's a that's a trend we are absolutely seeing we think that in order to make that happen You've got to have that focus on the customer relationship as the as the as the uh, the shopping center sponsor. And there's a lot of ways you can play in that game. You can put up an e-commerce website that takes feeds in from the retailers and sell that, or you can build infrastructure and services around what the retailer needs if they're selling and distributing online. Because e-commerce is no longer the same thing it used to be like I, I again another one i've used a lot but if i'm walking down the street and i'm three blocks from a starbucks and i order my coffee and i get there i take it off the shelf when i walk by the store that's an e-commerce transaction that happened in a brick and mortar distribution right and that same thing is going to come into the rest of the, of the of the retail chain you know the retail sort of relationships out there and we're going to see a lot more of that Right. And that, that is a big trend that we have, we see going into 2021. It's big for us and it, and it's big for shopping centers. I mean, you look at, you know, just take it outside or something we're not involved in other than observers. What Simon did with, with uh, an investment into Rulala guilt, a lot of money that went into it. Uh, and it's primarily about a database of shoppers and their preferences and how to, how to, how to engage them digitally to drive them in store and try to, Right. And, and to, to interact with them digitally and transact. So it's a combination. If I order um, my quad espresso on ice three blocks away from Starbucks on my phone, and then I get to the store, I go to pick it up and I go, that salami and cheese little platter looks really good. And I buy that in the store. There. Yeah, exactly. Is that an e-commerce transaction? Exactly. The tree falls in the forest, right? You know, uh, it, it is. I mean, if you just go research a car online, 
and then go buy it. That's, you know, is that e-commerce? Even if I didn't transact, but all my information around it was that. So it goes both ways. Is that a brick and mortar sale? Or so I don't think that it's one or the other. I think it's both. And okay. It's I a think transaction. Sorry, I didn't mean to stomp please, on you. Please. please. Go. <laughs> go ahead, stomp. No, no I'm done. Um, yeah. I was going to say, I think this e-commerce convergence in the consumer's mind is a, is really good for business, for retailers and for landlords. We we used to squabble with retailers about, oh, was that what constitutes an online sale? What constitutes an in-store sale? Are you taking would people buy something online and then they return it in store? Are you taking it off of my sales in store for that day? Are you taking that off your numbers that you're submitting? Is that what your audit is? And we've we've read research, right? The Halo report, et cetera. They're very intertwined. They are not distinctly different things. They were, but we're going to get to a place where total trade area sales are what we're going to look at. Mark my words. And this e-commerce thing is just another step to getting us there. And it makes total sense. Let's stop arguing about whether it's an online sale or an offline sale. Let's just talk about how do we make sure that we have healthy sales in our trade area, period. I'm off my soapbox, Chris. Okay. And and (laughs) in these things that you're talking about in fulfillment happening at shopping centers around the globe, you know, and you're going to start to see that more as your top trend. Do you envision a place where people are going and picking up and maybe buying in those facilities or are they completely? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. like you could be super sexy, like for a very high end Bell Harbor shops. It could be, you know, it's got a gorgeous pavilion. You pull your car up there. It's got fitting rooms. Maybe there's a tailor there that that's there all the time. And maybe the office for the personal shopper concierge is there. All of your online purchases, Mr. Reza are here. Here's your room. Please go try it on. Give me all the stuff you hate. Keep all the things you want. And it's very streamlined. Or it could be something simple, like when you go to Walmart to pick up your groceries um, and you just are looking for a very sort of convenient experience. But it can be what we make it. And it can fit with the brand or the consumer base, no matter who that is. We can make it super plush or we can make it very utilitarian, but we better make it convenient and flexible and what the consumer wants. When are we out of the R&D phase of this type of stuff where, and people can quantify returns and how, you know, return on investment and how much money they're making on this? I think people. Yeah, I think we're we're a little bit of a ways out out on at least into 22, right? I mean, it's going to take time to build that kind of stuff. And then you got to say, all right, now I can measure the R and the ROI. I can measure the impact it's having. Um but it, it, then you got to grow it from there, right? So, but but your digital channels should become we we have seen customers look at building a database and getting it categorized as an asset under their REIT coverage, right? You know, so they, they want to use these things to build an asset and grow that asset. So the expense on that 
you know, fits into their guidelines as a REIT. So we're starting to see people go there. It's going to have to, it, it's not going to happen overnight, but COVID is clearly, you know, accelerating. And uh, okay. the attribution you mentioned on the last question is very, it's anecdotal, but there was a company called Curbside that when the whole on-demand economy thing started taking off, they focused less on delivery, but literally curbside. And I talked to an operator who had one out in California. I think it was a test. Most of the customers would pull in, get their bags, put them in the car, drive across the street, go in the parking lot, and then walk into the shopping center because they wanted something else. So all these interactions lead to add-on purchase. But I think you're right. Back to the R&D question. We're, we're, we're definitely got to get through 21 and do some pilots and some trials, and we'll start to see that. But it will grow. So attribution doesn't matter if there's full transparency because then – then people can make calls based on what they're seeing. But if there's not transparency, you're going to constantly have this attribution tug and pull. That's Amen. Right. Hey, you're right. And I wanted now. to add to what John said about, um, about this whole, you know, are we in the R and D? If you think about it and I, I, I'm going to be a little bit of a contrarian, if you think about it, if, if Best Buy was waiting to see what, what the potential return on, their BOPIS operation was, and they were waiting for it to be significant or meaningful to invest in it, they wouldn't have been in nearly the amazing position they were going into COVID. So I, I, I appreciate coming from the world that I come from, where, where you come from, Chris, that there is, um, there is a lot of um, pressure to show ROI but I think that the hanging back and waiting, I mean, remember when I was at Forest City, they used to say, we want to be on the leading edge, not the bleeding edge. I just feel like that period of time is getting more and more condensed, that we can't really afford to hang back and wait until something's a sure thing. I think we do need to take a little bit of a, of a, a, a cue from technology, which is, we try something, we aren't afraid to fail, and we iterate on it, right? We tweak it, we figure out, oh, that's where it went wrong. Let's, let's fix that. I, I, I talk about all the time being decisive. You have to take shots and swing the bat. But the, I think that's easier for Amazon, Walmart, Target, Best Buy, and a, a lot harder for Bob's Pizza Shop to do. He, if he misses, he's out. Yeah, I, I think I was talking more about uh, our industry in general. Yeah, I agree. I got it. I guess that's that's the point. That that that's where I go to, right? Like we have to get to a place where Bob's can see a return. Otherwise, he he doesn't have the luxury, and we saw this through COVID. He doesn't have the luxury to, you know, to to take those risks, right? His a hundred percent. I think it's the landlords, it's, it's our landlord's responsibility to help to make sure that Bob has the digital tools he needs to be successful. They're busy. When I was working in the shopping center industry, I, I, I literally would talk to people who have their life savings wrapped up in a cart or a small store. Um, and we didn't have a lot of tools to give them. Advertising was expensive. so. Some of the, the smallest financially impactful things we could do was make sure they had signs in the mall or make sure they were on the website. I think we can do a damn site better than that now. 
And that's part of the responsibility landlords have, I believe. There's a lot there's a lot of landlords though out there who are in no different position than Bob's Pizza. They have they own, they own a 20,000 square foot building. They have they have a lender and the property generates $100,000 a year in cash and that's what they eat off of. And then when that goes to 50,000 or whatnot and they don't have, you know, just all these cash sitting in the bank to deploy into techno- every technology initiative that comes next in order to continue to help the retailers. You know, there's a there's a lot of, there's a lot of landlords and, you know, there's a lot of a lot of landlords out there where most of the tenants in the shopping center are much more much bigger balance sheets than they have. Even the biggest landlords, right? You know, there's there's no landlord who has a bigger balance sheet than Walmart. There's no right, and so uh, you know uh, they're the number one on Fortune 500. So um, I, I think landlords need to help. I think there's this there's this kind of, and this is what I was getting at of what retailers could do. There's this. It feels. There's whether it's headline news or whatnot, there's a lot of onus on landlords and I take pride on everything we're doing here at DLC to try to help tenants. But there's this there's this kind of I think it comes from the old adage of, you know, renting a home when, you know, the landlord's a wealthy person and they've got all these deep pockets. And uh, when you're renting, you know, your apartment like that guy who bought that real estate to be a landlord, he must be really well off. And that's trickled over the years into commercial real estate. And it's just not always the case. Um, And, you know, there's, I I think, um, you know, we'll see. And and, and it happens just like in every business, the, the strong survive and the weak do not. And we'll see how it plays out. So I totally agree. There's some good market opportunities there because there's a bunch of Bob's Pizzas out there. And that's where Postmates and DoorDash and Grubhub have gone. They're allowing Bob to expand his business. I had a little Middle Eastern place that's literally been there since the 70s, right? And and it's tiny. You can hardly go there anymore because there's so many delivery guys there. So they're they're clearly serving more people than they ever could with a small number of tables. So these things work out and there are casualties along the way without yeah, any doubt. Yeah, fair enough. Right? Yeah, yeah, there are definitely, and it's terrible, right? Especially because Bob's got everything in the pizzeria, right? He That's what he's got. COVID and it's over, right? And he's looking for a job somewhere. Yeah. Right? So you, you don't want to see that, but those become great market opportunities. People have built some serious unicorn valuations around things like that. I put Postmates at that. Having they probably raised $900 million and just sold themselves for $2.4 million. Billion. Yep. And they haven't made a dime. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's crazy. That sounds really good. Oh, ne- neither has the guy who's buying them either. Uber hasn't yeah. made a dime either. <laughs> All the investors made money. But yeah. uh, All right. So that brings us, I'm conscious of time. That brings us to the last part of the show. Are you ready? Yes. I'm ready. Call, call us retail wisdom. All right. Each of you, what is your best piece of commercial real estate advice? Establish a relationship with the customer. I love it. Stephanie. Don't be so fixated on the bottom line that you forget to look up at the horizon for what's coming. 
Okay, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Sage advice. Um, John, what extinct retailer you wish would come back from the dead? I want the original Banana Republic. Okay. Not one with docker type jean pants and stretch cotton t-shirts that I'm wearing. I want the one that had the pith helmets and the Israeli paratrooper briefcases. And, and the, the airplane hanging from yes. the ceiling. <laughs> The original with the stories of the guy and his wife who went to Burma and they found these great shorts. I, I used to love that story. Awesome. Stephanie. I'm going to go with that. That's literally when he said that I'm like, I'm stealing that too. I'm just going to be like original. And I, agree. Got it. I used to get the paper catalog and it was like so entertaining to read. So yeah, I miss them. I, I'll tell you, I, for a long time ago, I lived in Egypt and we, we used to make fun of these guys with these vests. We call them like banana republic tourists, right? Because <laughs> uh, because now you would say that and it wouldn't even make sense to anybody, right? Yeah. <laughs> but we see them walking through the markets and uh, like they got outfitted at the banana republic before they went on vacation. <laughs> All right. Um, last question. I am on Booty Band's website. What does... A 20-day booty band plus abs level one booty band retail for. And if you're not familiar. Oh, wait, are those the elastic bands? Booty booty bands are mini rubber loop bands designed to be placed around the thighs, legs, ankles, feet, shoulders, and arms. They are used as part of a physical exercise program with the intention to add additional resistance challenge to natural movements such as squats, lunges, sides, and kicks. Okay. John, are go we ahead. guessing the price or are you- you're guessing the price? Chris, how many bands do you get? This and this one is one band. One band. All right. Okay. But it comes, it does come, it does come with a 20 day personal training workout, an interactive workout calendar. Oh, so it's got a little. I'm, I'm going yeah. 1999. Plus I'm going 2999. <laughs> $29.95. <laughs> Stephanie, you are so close. It is $30, and thank you for playing. (laughs) (laughs) Except your booty bands. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, listen, John and Stephanie, thank you so much. This was great. Really appreciate it. Super fun, Chris. Thank you for having us. And we can't wait to have you on our podcast. I can't wait either. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.